1: Hello and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Bergen. As we delve ever deeper into the so-called climate crisis, a lot of research has focused on trying to understand how organisms may adapt and respond to changing temperatures. This is an incredibly difficult interaction to understand, and it gets even more difficult when considering organisms with complex life cycles, as environments can and do vary dramatically across different life stages. However, it's an interaction that the authors behind today's study tried to tease apart, as they looked at stage-specific genotype-by-environment interactions for cold and heat hardiness in Drosophila melanogaster which also happens to be the title of the paper. And as well as being a fantastic study in scientific terms, this paper is great as it includes the work of not one, but two undergraduate students. And it's also, basically, the second chapter of the lead author's PhD thesis. So let's meet our authors and
0: find out what these early career researchers discovered. My name is uh, Philip Frida, Jr. Uh, I am a postdoctoral researcher currently at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm investigating opioid addiction, However, my PhD work is in uh, entomology, specifically looking at the evolution of complex life cycles.
2: My name is Zainab Ali, and I'm a recent graduate from UC Berkeley, where I worked on a project with Phil over the summer in the Morgan Lab to look at life-stage independent evolution of drosophila. And right now, I work for a biotechnology company where we genetically engineer yeast.
1: You guys are two of the authors on a recent heredity paper that you kind of teased there a minute ago called Stage-Specific Genotype by Environment Interactions for Cold and Heat Hardiness in Drosophila and Melanogaster. So I guess, what broadly are the underlying concepts in this paper?
0: I guess just briefly, um, naturalists, for a very long time, even in the days of Darwin actually, thought that complex life cycles, like specifically insects, like caterpillars and moths and butterflies, were different species. It wasn't until after Darwin that, you know, people actually realized in the Western world that they were the same species. It's actually known anciently in Egypt, but, you know, for a very long time, the Western world didn't realize that these were the same species. And if you look at a butterfly and you look at a caterpillar, they look very different. And that morphological difference is underlain by what niches they exist in, right? So the caterpillars and butterflies eat different things. They're eaten by different things. They look different and they live in different habitats. So what we're testing is an extension of the adaptive decoupling hypothesis, which was brought up by Nancy Moran in 1994 in her seminal work, and she proposed that these individual stages in complex life cycles evolved to exploit different ecological niches. So what this is, is it's using genetics and quantitative genetics to basically bolster and test that hypothesis in a model system, which is melanogaster*.
1: Okay, cool. It's interesting. I actually think this is the first time we've discussed Drosophila on the podcast. Really? It's a bit surprising because it is one of our most studied organisms. Yeah, I think so. Um, So I guess before we get into the science proper, I spend a lot of time on Twitter, like I think many procrastinating scientists do. And that's where I saw that this is actually Zainab's first paper. So Zainab, how did you get involved in the project and how does it feel to be a published author?
2: Yeah, so how I got involved with the project is I applied to the National Science Foundation's Research Experience for Undergraduates REU program, and I got accepted and was placed in the Morgan Lab with Phil as my mentor, and it was a really great experience. As an undergraduate, you join these projects just hoping to learn something, so to get a publication out of it is really just like the icing on the cake cherry on top so i feel very fortunate
1: no oh, fantastic and i guess was he a good mentor oh
2: yeah he was great
1: yeah and uh, i like to say zena was uh,
0: amazing as well it was very very good to have her
1: perfect so i guess we should get into the actual weeds of the study so you had quite a complex experimental design here where you were looking at interactions between the flies genes their environment their development so i guess could you briefly explain what it was that you were doing and what it was you were specifically aiming to test
0: Sure. So I guess it's good to start Freda et al. 2017, which is a paper that came out before this, uh, just as a foundation. So what we were interested in was seeing if life stages were independent for a fitness-related trait, which is thermal hardiness. So thermal hardiness is a measure of an organism's ability to maintain fitness despite some acute thermal stress. And as you can probably imagine, you know, Drosophila are ectotherms, so they can't regulate their body temperature. And that really dictates the distribution. That dictates the distribution of many ectotherms and, and many insects. So we are very interested in how ectotherms deal with thermal stress. So what we wanted to know was, you know, if the larval stage is good or bad at thermal tolerance, so it has a high fitness or low fitness, does that translate to the adult stage within a line? So what we did was we exposed... 139 or so of these isogenic lines to extreme cold. And we basically tried to look for a correlation between survival at one stage and survival at the other. And what we found was not only where there was no correlation, but we also did a genome-wide association study and showed that the genetic architectures, so the genes responsible for cold hardiness, were not the same between larvae and adults. So we took this a step further in this paper. So environments are variable, right, in the real world. And in laboratories, things are static. So we wanted to try to capture that variation as much as possible by not only exposing the individuals, these flies, to extreme cold, but also to extreme heat. And then additionally, we wanted to also mess with their rearing environment because you know, if you can imagine an individual that's raised in the early spring will be exposed to colder temperatures than an individual that was raised in the late summer. So we did two rearing temperatures, both as 18 degrees Celsius, which is pretty cold for a fly, and 25 degrees Celsius, which is we consider standard rearing conditions, and then exposed both of those uh, in a factorial design, larvae and adults from both of those rearing regimes to both extreme cold and extreme heat. I don't know if we want to go into the results yet, but that's basically the experimental procedure we did.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good time to go into the results. Maybe you could just explain what you were finding.
0: Sure. So to basically confirm our previous results, we did a calculation of genetic correlation and the phenotypic correlation. And what we found was regardless of rearing temperature or thermal extreme, heat or cold, the lack of correlation persists. What that means is, you know, for heat and for cold hardiness, both of those very different phenotypes, because if we think about the organism as a whole, heat and cold affect organisms in different ways. But regardless of that and regardless of rearing temperature, that lack of correlation persists between stages in all the factorial possibilities. So that's one of the, I guess, first results we notice right away. Interesting,
1: and I guess another quite interesting thing that you find was negative acclimators. Mm. Could you maybe just explain what these are and what their importance might be?
0: Sure. So these are these are interesting. Um, maybe we should first explain what a positive acclimator is. So logically, you would think if you're reared in an environment that's colder, you will likely do well in a cold shock. Uh, or an extreme cold environment. And we see that on average in both larvae and adults. However, in heat stress, it was a lot more noisy. On average, yes, most lines do do better if they're in a higher temperature, if they're exposed to heat shock. But in larvae specifically, there were a lot of genotypes, I think 10 out of 39, so a pretty significant percentage, that did worse. That's a very interesting result. And we don't exactly know why. People have talked about it before. I mean, it's not the first time this has actually come out in Drosophila literature. But remember, this is one of the few papers that actually look at the larval stage. And most papers totally just dismiss it, which is interesting considering how important that part of the ecology is. But however, yeah, so it's a negative acclimation. So it could be due to some pleiotropic effects or, you know, in the genome, we're not 100% sure, but it's interesting to say the least. And the thing is, I think what needs to be stressed in this kind of paper is, you know, there's only one genome, right? And what we see is that there's evidence that there's parts of the genome that are turned on and off depending on the stage and depending on the stress. And I'm not saying that there's like clear sections of this is a larval section. This is an adult section. Like gene A could produce protein A for adults, but protein B for larvae. So also these genes may be co-opted for different purposes.
1: Yeah, no, it is very interesting. And I guess, uh, Zainab, you kind of came into this at a much later stage than Phil did. So I wonder what it was that you were doing actively on this project and what you might think the most interesting results from your perspective is.
2: Right. So in my part of the project, there were four main questions I was trying to answer. Essentially, is there a correlation between larval and adult heat hardiness, which we found there was not, which is what Phil refers to as genetic decoupling, which is essentially that organisms are free to evolve independently at different life stages. And then after we established that, we looked at our heat and cold hardiness correlated. And what we found there was that they were only correlated in larva and only in larva reared at 18 degrees Celsius, which as Phil mentioned, was a temperature relatively cool for flies. And we weren't exactly sure why this was Another question that we were trying to answer in this part of the project was Does rearing temperature affect heat hardiness? And I think this is the most interesting part of the project I worked on because what we found is yes, it does. So, Drosophila raised in cooler temperatures are more cold hardy than Drosophila raised in warmer temperatures, and vice versa. And lastly, Uh, What we were looking at is which life stage is more heat hardy, so the larval or the adult. And we found that larval was, and I thought this was also really interesting and makes sense if you think about it because Drosophila larvae grow in rotting fruits on the ground where the temperatures are really high. So it makes sense that larvae would be more heat hardy than adults and adults overwinter. So it makes sense for them to be more cold hardy.
0: And the two things Zainab brought up that were really, really surprising to us was that we regressed heat versus cold hardiness within stages across rearing environments. And what's been shown in the literature many, many times is that there's no correlation between heat hardiness and cold hardiness in adults, meaning that Obviously, there's different genetics that are conferring that protection against extreme heat. But in larvae, when you rear them at a cold temperature, which is, like St. said, is a stressful temperature, there is a correlation. And the only explanation we can come up with is that this is probably turning on some kind of general stress response. Only found in larvae, in this example, that could be conferring general hardiness, which is interesting because we didn't see that in adults. And then the other, the second part of what she said was, you know, the adaptive decoupling hypothesis, again, this is the crux of the paper, and this is what we're trying to test, is that Nancy Moran hypothesized that these stages are evolving to take up these distinct ecological niches. And what we find out is that adults are more cold hardy than larvae however larvae are more heat hardy than adults but not significantly so unfortunately and it's one of those results where you're like damn i wish that was a little bit more powerful but <laughs> you know i'm sure you've been there before too and it, it's I, like uh, i
1: have been there before i yeah. think many people will be able to relate to that absolutely
0: but it does tease at the question you know As Zainab pointed out, that since larvae rear in these environments that are way more exposed to heat, usually larvae are exposed to higher temperatures and they can't escape them like adults can, and adults are the stage that actually survives winter, it would make sense that we see this pattern, which is essentially what we're going out to look for.
1: Yeah, it, it is incredibly interesting. And I guess a minute ago, you kind of mentioned that there is quite a lot in here. And I wonder what you think the sort of broad implications of this work are. Like, what are the sort of key messages and how might they apply more broadly to the field?
0: I guess one of them is, is that Drosophila do have an ecology, believe it or not. <laughs> I think a lot of people gloss over that. But complex life cycle insects impact humanity in extreme ways, whether they are crop pests, or medically relevant insects. And the take-home message is, is that it's not great to look at one life stage. Unless you're taking the whole organism into account, you're really getting half, maybe even less than half of the whole picture. I mean,
1: you're right. I think there is a tendency for us to focus on the sort of bigger, sexier adult stages and maybe not pay too much attention to the larval stages, which... I mean, I guess for many insects is where the majority of the life cycle is happening. And I guess this might be a nice time to wrap up. So maybe you could just remind us of what your paper's called, and also just tell us who your co-authors were.
0: Sure. So state-specific genotype by environment interactions for cold and heat hardiness in Drosophila melanogaster. So I'm the uh, first author of Zainab's the second author. Nicholas Heater was another undergrad who worked in the lab. Gregory Raglin is at UC Denver. He's a um, professor there. And Theodore J. Morgan is a professor at Kansas State University in the Department of Biology.
1: Fantastic. Hopefully people will go and give it a read. It is a really interesting paper. And thank you for taking the time, both of you, to tell us about it and share your work with us. Thanks for having us on.
2: Yeah.
1: That was Dr. Philip Frieda and Zainab Ali. Two of the authors in the recent Heredity paper stage specific genotype-by-environment interactions for cold and heat hardiness in Drosophila melanogaster. It really is an interesting and comprehensive study, and if you're going to get the most out of it, you really are going to have to give it a read. You can find it on the Heredity website, nature.com forward slash HDY, where you can also find out how you can publish your research in the journal. And it's been a while, but if you liked our previous episodes on the Heredity Special Issue, which celebrated the Genetic Society's centenary, you are going to love the latest episode of Genetics Unzipped with Dr. Kat <laughs> What do you get when you mix a Nobel Prize-winning geneticist and a science podcaster with some frozen strawberries, pineapple juice and overproof rum? Find out in the latest episode of Genetics Unzipped as we celebrate the birthday of the Genetics Society, founded on the 25th of June 100 years ago, with past president and winner of the Genetic Society's first centenary medal, Sir Paul Nurse, and a little help from some very fruity cocktails. Genetics Unzipped is brought to you by the Genetics Society. Listen and download from geneticsunzip.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, I haven't listened to it myself yet and I am so looking forward to it. But that's us for this episode. Heredity is the official journal of the Genetic Society. If you want to keep up to date with the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter, that's at Heredity Journal. And if you want to get in touch with me directly, why don't you drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm James Bergen. Tune in next time.